Broadsheet Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Shared History. History dies in darkness. Ooh. Ooh. I didn't realize the Washington Post had such a dark tagline. It's democracy dies in darkness, which it does. But like, come on, guys. Yeah, that's that's a lot to just like put on me. Yeah, but it's true, though. And history dies in darkness when we don't talk about it. So it's a good thing we're sharing today yes shedding some light on some lesser known or uh underrepresented stories from history oh my god that should be like our little catchphrase isn't it fun when on what is this the i believe this is the 95th episode of shared history wow Wow. it feels weird to be like in case you didn't know this is what you're listening to (laughs) (laughs) it's like we don't introduce ourselves at all anymore and i'm like should we do that? Look, we've learned um, that it doesn't matter. People still can't tell us apart. I'm <laughs> Natalie. And I'm Natalie. Shit. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump right in because I'm super stoked about my topic. Are you stoked? Are you ready to be stoked? I ooh, stoke my fire. Stoke my historical flame. Ooh, baby. I'm going to stoke it. And I'm going to stoke it a thousand years ago in the Philippines. How about that? Stoke away. Take me All right. Take me way back there. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about batok, which is the traditional Filipino art of tattooing. Um, and the tattoo artists who perform this are called mamba talks. So... Tattooing has a rich, rich history. We've talked about tattooing in the past in one of our episodes, but I want to go into the specific um, genre of tattooing. People in general, and me specifically, have um, a bad habit of generalizing things, you know, like, oh, you know, tattooing was Polynesian or Southeast Asian or all of tattooing is the same and whatever. Um, kind of like when we talked about the Iroquois Nation, we talk about Native Americans and we just kind of lump them all together Mm -hmm. in our brain. And there's such intricate political differences between all of them and minute details. So I wanted to go into this specific style, mostly because of this phenomenal woman called Wang Odd. She was born in February on February 17th in 1917 she is still with us today she is currently 105 years old oh my goodness yes yes we love a centenarian queen what are they it's not a word you get to say that often i don't even know if i said it right (laughs) who could who could possibly know um she's from the kalinga province of the philippines which is kind of the the northern side ish like right in the middle so she's right in the highlands in the mountains um not like 
by water, really. So dead center of the top. Um, and this art of Batok has been practiced for a thousand years in that region. Um, basically what they do is they have a bone or a stick and it's kind of like curved. It's almost like candy cane-esque, but not all the way around. It's just a little like L shape. Okay. And then they tie usually a thorn to it. Um, that's the needle. And they have a little stick that they use as a hammer. And their ink is usually a mixture of charcoal and water. Um, sometimes they use uh, mud, pig bile, all of this different stuff to get that color. And then you just tap away. You hammer on that little L shape uh, stick and this thorn goes in and out of you. Yeah. Uh, they can tap anywhere from like 80 to 95 taps per minute. So if you think about a traditional tattoo gun, that's happening like, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands per minute. Yeah, it's fast, it, that's why it just sounds like a buzz. Yeah, exactly. So this is like, if you think about that, like that's a lot of tapping, like yeah. good for you. But on the other end of things, on the receiving end, it's, ooh, I watched a video of it and you see the thorn go all the way in and then kind of like pull to get out. Yeah. It's very painful. It's a very slow process. Um, I have tattoos and I just recently like watched a video or I think it was a TikTok or something that was like explaining how tattoos actually work. And I was like, I like how I have these on my body. And I'm like, this is the first time anyone has, I've even looked into an explanation of what is actually happening on the biological level of how yep. this is possible. Yep, we're just putting ink in like the one thirty second thousandth yeah. layer of our skin which is even like crazier that to like remember the fact that tattoos have been around for a very long time and a lot of cultures found ways to do this centuries ago yeah and and this um this specific art form it's for aesthetic purposes to an extent but it's also ceremonial and that's mm -hmm. the one thing the traditional form of batak was sacred and ceremonial um, there would be like food offerings, there'd be prayers. People got these tattoos for specific reasons. Women got them for beautification. This, you know, highlighted their beauty. And the more tattoos you had, the more beautiful you were. Men would get these tattoos um, after they killed someone. So they had what they called headhunters, mm -hmm. which was literally if you were a warrior and you killed someone, you cut their head off and you bring it back. and for every kill, you got a tattoo. And so someone with a lot of tattoos was a brave, brave warrior. And you didn't you didn't get to pick your tattoos. It wasn't like, oh man, I, I think it'd be like dope if there was just like this huge like eagle and then it was like eating Fighting a an snake. octopus and a snake. And, yeah, and then underneath put, um, put the word peace in American, but it doesn't actually say peace because we don't know American. <laughs> Sorry, just kind of flipping that on its head. Um, but anyways, it was a lot of times would have to do with the province you're from, maybe your family name or something. So it was an identifier. Uh, Did the artist also, choose what the they artist got? would choose? Yeah. Oh. And you wouldn't get to choose where it went either. Oh, they for just me, that's say, always like, the hardest part of, I would have many more tattoos than I do if I ooh, was yeah. 
flexible uh, about where I wanted them. <laughs> yes. Honestly, Natalie, I don't even, I, maybe I think I knew you had a tattoo. But you. Yeah. Same. Everyone forgets. <laughs> Everyone forgets. Mine are hidden, usually. Um, but usually I, the tattoo artists knew you, or the, sorry, the Mamba Talk knew you. So they would do something that meant something to you. Like if they knew you're this amazing warrior, it was specific to you somehow, mm. but it was ceremonial. It was kind of divined. Um, there's certain instances where like, if you sneeze before the tattoo begins, then it's the gods saying they're displeased. You're not getting the tattoo. Oh no. <laughs> that placement just doesn't look right, honey. We're not gonna do this. So it isn't just like, oh my God, I think it would be so cool to have a sleeve. It's very much this is part of their um like ancestral tradition, part of from their gods and everything. And they're and they're earned. They For the are warriors earned. at least they're they're earned. Yes. Cass, and you and I you and I sneeze and yawn before we hit record almost every episode and I'm just thinking about how displeased the gods are with us before we start recording <laughs> every day. Depends on which gods displeased. I'm okay pissing a few of them off. A couple of them could fuck off. Yeah. So this has been going on for thousands of years. The tools that they still use today are the kind of rudimentary tools that they use in the beginning. Sticks, bones, um, thorns uh and the kind of paste they use for ink when the spaniards discovered ew gross when they landed and colonized the philippines um they called them they called the people originally las islas de los pintados which means the island of the painted ones uh because this was just a very common practice mm -hmm. everyone had tattoos wang odd has been tattooing since she was 10 or 13 years old. So she started very young. And this was um, an art, it was learned, you were apprenticed. And specifically the women who did this, men tattooed as well, but the women who did this, it is a very kind of differentiation of who they were, um, their uh, status within their villages as well. These people were thought of as holy, as very important. And she learned this from the women around her. To this day, she is the oldest and only Kalinga uh, Mamba Talk. So she's now teaching her great grandnieces or her grandnieces, I don't, I think it's just grandnieces, um, how to do this. So that it continues, so that the tradition. Yes. Um, tourists come to her all the time. So this is why I mentioned, like, you don't get to choose what you get or where you get it. Yeah. Tourists come all the time and they're like, ooh, you know, I want to get, I want to get a trendy tattoo from Wang Odd and whatnot. And she's like, and, sit down and shut up. And I'll do it if I want to. And I'll do yeah. what I want to. Yeah. Um, she has started to just do kind of simple designs again because her eyes are going. But... She stopped doing the ceremony aspect of it, and she doesn't do certain designs in order to keep honor those for yeah, keep those for um, the culture, for their culture, for Philippines, for the or Filipinos, for the people who this is their history, yeah, and kind of you know those 
kitschy tourists are like, oh my God, it's going to be such a fun story to go come home and tell that you kind of just get what you get, which I think is good. And they're going there. You know, a lot of them can't speak the language. They're literally just going, give me a tattoo and then they're out. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not good and it's not important. Um, there's a few documentaries on YouTube that are really great. And the ending of one of them is like 16 minute long documentary. The end of one of them, she's like, tourists come here to get tattoos and they help us earn a living. And if it weren't for them, we would be doing hard labor in the fields. Wang Odd would be doing hard labor in the fields and she's 105 years old. Yeah. Um, so they they understand the fact that this is, this is something that keeps them um, uh, solvent and able to do what they love to do and what's important to them. It is nice to know that they are like, we recognize that people are coming here to do this and it is providing a cash flow and like stimulating the econ economy and keeping us from having to like do hard labor. But that doesn't mean that we have to sacrifice the meaning behind the art form and we don't mm. have to cheapen its like legacy and its cultural importance like that we don't have to give away th like the the that she can basically be like well, you can't get this type of tattoo and i'm not doing the ceremony because yes we are not cheapening my culture like my yes. culture is not for sale yes you're absolutely this is you know and in our culture it's it's for beautification and, and whatnot so you can have that but you didn't earn this yeah. um you didn't bring the me ceremony any heads, and i don't know enough <laughs> about you to like give me a goddamn head yeah <laughs> um there is a a filipino man who's trying to preserve this history his name is lane wilkin um it says lane is an artisan of ancient technology and art He's widely recognized by the Filipino American community as a Mamba Talk, a cultural tattoo practitioner only using ancient hand tap tattoo techniques. Uh, he researches these ancient technologies um, and he's very influential in retaining the symbolism and spirituality of his ancestors of the Filipino people and their traditional practices and everything. He does give hand tap tattoos. Um, he's got a website and everything, but he's really dedicated to the preservation of not only this art, but Filipino culture and the honoring it and the beauty of it. Um, the Philippines were a colonized nation. Um, they were colonized by the Spanish, I believe the French for a short amount of time. Granted, a lot of their culture has changed just because of modernization, mm -hmm. but also when you're colonized by someone else, things are taken away from you and people try to make you assimilate. Um, a lot of Filipino last names uh, have Spanish origins and whatnot. That's because mm -hmm. they came in and they made them assimilate and they took over. Um, so this super obscure seeming um, practice from a very specific region of the Philippines by this one woman who is truly the last Mamba talk. Um, Lane Wilkin is Filipino American. He does these in, in America. Lane, or, um, Wang Odd in the literal 1900s, mm -hmm. not the 1990s, um, was 
shown this and given this art form passed down for thousands of years doing it in the original village um and is now passing it on to her her grandnieces who started uh tattooing when they were 10 and 16 respectively let a 10 year old tattoo you that's yeah that's what i want yeah well and they said they started um on themselves and on each other and then they would do people from their family and uh i don't know it was probably an honor at that time for you know these young girls taking over you know like learning and keeping our practices alive and well yeah i'll let you fuck up on my arm that's totally fine you know the you know the like kind of stereotypical plot line of like taking up the family business Mm -hmm. and the carrying on the family legacy i feel like that pressure that's got to be such a higher amount of pressure when the family business is like we're I'm one of the last people who can do this. So if you don't (laughs) pick up the family legacy, maybe a whole art form dies out. The family legacy is the culture of the Filipino people have at it. It's so stressful. It's not not like fucking kinky boots where he's like, I don't want to make shoes, dad. (laughs) This is so much, the stakes are so much higher. Yeah. I have like anxiety thinking about it. Mm hmm. It is. And it's one of those weird things, because in order to keep it to guarantee its survival, oftentimes that means it's commercialization or it's, you know, farming it out to people who like don't fully understand it mm-hmm. or maybe aren't exactly part of the culture. And then you run the risk of is this is this true to what our ancestors did of what they want of of what it, it truly means, you know? um wang odd is phenomenal google a picture of her we'll have pictures on the web on uh our social medias she's gorgeous she's phenomenal she is tatted top to toe yes and there's there's lots of videos of her doing this obviously because it's it's a, a cultural phenomenon you know like no one does this anymore and you have to like literally climb a mountain to get to her to do this and no matter who you see her tattooing she's always smiling she's always like they've got you know other people from the villagers she's like bantering and a lot of the tourists can't understand what she's saying she's just laughing and having a good time and still connecting with the person she's tattooing and she's just a damn sweet and i want her to live forever and i want her to tattoo forever and i just really hope good things for her grandnieces yeah. and that they can keep this alive. It's beautiful. It looks painful as hell. <laughs> and you know why it looks that way, Natalie? Because it's painful it as hell. <laughs> this is the most painful type of tattoo to receive. I look, I don't want to use weighing odd, but if somebody ever gets on their high horse about like, people in our generation and the proliferation of like tattoos I feel like m- more in our generation than those before ours mm-hmm. um about being like you're gonna be an old man or an old lady with like all those tattoos I would be like look at this absolute gorgeous rock star of a 105 year old woman yeah you know how everyone's like well I don't want to get a tattoo because when it sags I'm like she looks gorgeous they look beautiful they look phenomenal 
I saw when I was looking for research on on Wang Hod, I got a lot of like blogs on people mm -hmm. who got tattoos or who met her or something. So it wasn't exactly like historical, but they are firsthand accounts. And uh, the little subheading on one of them was, I want to be inked and wrinkled. Like, yes. I want to be all tatted up when I'm old. And I'm like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. It is upsetting to think about, I know, to just think, to think the word blog hurts. But, like, that mm. will be, that is a primary source. Like, that is what history will when we talk about now, we're like, oh, they found this old manuscript or like these monks yeah. wrote about this thing. It was this just was, an old blog. <laughs> this was chiseled in a in a the inside of a skull. Uh, no, the history of this era is going to be we're going to be citing blogs. So it is yeah. history, Cass. It is history. And uh, when we had Dr. Molina on, she was talking about this kind of like smoke, not smoking gun, but kind of the thing that kicked off at, that gave her novel that spark or that depth or that reality was she found this like local newspaper, which it was essentially yeah. like a little, not gossip column. What was it? I mean, it was kind of, of, it was just like talk about town. Yeah. Talk about town, which at the time people were like, oh, this, this might be so silly or whatever. And she's like, I, I this needed is valuable that primary like, we source. Need, we need yeah. people to write these. I can't, I, you know what? You're welcome history for my middle school live journal. And I'm sure the wealth of Natalie, critical information it contains. Natalie, we did it again. We saved we history. We saved history. We pulled it out of darkness. <laughs> Shine that spotlight on it. Yeah. Oh, Cass, you definitely said something on this episode that was so on brand. What do you mean? You know, like you have a brand. The way you look and communicate, what you place value in, all of that is your brand. Just typical you being you. Oh. How do you know so much about brands? Oh, well, I've worked with Bates Marone's Sweet Design. Who? Bates Marone. They're a boutique branding, marketing, and web design agency based in Chicago. They've got great strategists, designers, and copywriters who all work together to make brands better. How do they do that? They combine research and storytelling. They find out why a brand is the way that it is, and then they bundle all that up into a nice little package for the business to take with them and use going forward. Shoot, that sounds great. Right? Well, are they just for huge corporations, though? Oh, absolutely not. They have experience with all sorts of clients, from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Ooh, fancy. Mm-hmm. If you want to see some of their past client work, learn more about their processes, see what it takes to join the team, or if you're just ready to schedule a meeting, go to their website, BatesMarone.com. That's B-A-T-E-S-M-E-R-O-N.com. I'm actually going to plunge uh, history right back into darkness because yes. I want to talk to you about a very serious issue that has been plaguing humanity for centuries. Plagues? Dragons. <laughs> okay, let's talk about dragons. Because I have thoughts. about dragons. I'm glad you do. I hope you do. First and foremost, I'm going to take a stand right here. Dragons mm. are real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
let me unpack that a little bit and be really pedantic for the in my I love how you didn't even need to do that. I was on board. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, this is for, for our listeners who are like dragons. This is like <laughs> this is this is like when on under the killed anyone brings up ghosts. It's like pff, ghosts. Ghosts <laughs> believing in ghosts or not believing in ghosts or not saying otherwise is is hedging your bets. Oh yeah. Dragons also, are real. I feel like I don't believe in ghosts, but I believe in ghosts in Scotland. <laughs> Something about it, it's like, no, those aren't real. Okay, the ones in Scotland for those sure are real. real. Something's going on. Those up are real. There. Uh, <laughs> the this is the pedantic reason, and we'll come back to this, but the word the word dragon first entered the English language in the early 13th century. But that's just the English language, you know? And our our world our word for dragon our the word dragon comes from uh, an old French word which comes from of course Latin and ancient Greek. Yes, this is me, Natalie, bringing you etymology because I can say the word etymology now and not get confused. That's what Natalie, <laughs> no what bugs have, here. What have you gotten out of six seasons of shared history? <laughs> Well, the other day on stage, I needed to make an entomology joke, and I remembered which one it was. And it only I don't took want us... no bugs. Bugs is the kind of thing from me. It only took us 95 episodes for me to be able to remember that etymology is words. I don't know why, but that's one word that always, like, when I learned what entomology and etymology was, like, oh, like sixth grade or something, I'm like, that's locked in here forever because the etymology of entomology, I think it's, nope. I'm a nerd. Continue, Natalie. It's I not love, about that. I love words too. The the Greek and Latin words, uh, dracon and draconym, respectively. The Greek word means serpent or giant sea fish. And the Latin word translates to huge serpent. And they referred to just that. Just mm-hmm. big old, big old snakes. Not yeah. necessarily a meth- mythological creature, just a yeah. great big serpent. Which definitely 100% in the sea. The ocean scares me also, so much. Like, not even, not even that. Just like thinking about the fact that like your idea of what a huge snake is, is completely relative. Like that mm-hmm. is a subjective thing. Yeah. If, if you've only seen a medium snake and you thought, and that was a snake bigger than the other snake that you'd ever seen, then that's a huge snake. I don't know. Snakes are weird. I could see a garter snake and be like, dragon! <laughs> They're all dragons. Hence, dragons are real. Dragon. Dragon. I don't do that tongue thing. Uh, I, 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 you, suppose, I suppose Mushu would, would then take issue with me saying that dragons are snakes. Uh, snakes are dragons. <laughs> But like all good mythological creatures, dragons don't have a singular origin. And here's where in my research, I was like, I could go two ways here. And one of them, we just don't have time for. (laughs) Dragons appear in virtually all cultures around the globe. Yeah. And again, all earliest reports of draconic creatures, giant snakes. And I could spend the next... 10 hours of my life walking you through all of the different depictions of dragons and like the different like myths and stories and publications that they appeared in 
for it. Yeah, let's Every do that. Culture I like that you one. Can think of. We don't have time. <laughs> There's no time. There's no time. So I'm just gonna keep explaining to you why dragons are real. Uh, <laughs> okay. So anthropol. This is actually bringing up you. You pointing at a garter snake and going, ah, dragon. Totally a fair reaction. There's an anthropologist named David E. Jones who suggested uh, a, a hypothesis that humans inherited an instinctive reaction to snakes, large cats, and birds of prey from our our, our background as monkeys. Because monkeys have an inherent fear or reaction to snakes, large cats, and birds of prey. They'll fuck you up. They were the major predators for them. Yeah. He cites a study which found that 39 in 100 people are afraid of snakes, even if they live in an area where snakes are rare, even if they've mm. never seen a snake. A lot of people have a fear of snakes. Thus, dragons or great snakes appear in nearly all cultures because humans are innately afraid of them from back when they were major predators of their primate ancestors. And humans love talking about things that they're afraid of. And humans love talking about things that are vaguely phallic. So mm -hmm. I'm sorry. As soon as you said great sea snake, that's all I was thinking. And I was kind of giggling in my brain here a little bit. I'm sure everyone's thinking of that iconic line from Runaway Bride where the old lady says something about the one-eyed snake. <laughs> There's another uh, theory, and these aren't necessarily like separate theories, but also... Adrian Mayer, who is an ancient science historian and classical folklorist, which is a Java mm. that I want. Yes. Uh, she posits that stories of dragons were inspired by ancient discoveries of fossils. Because imagine if you are, if you are like in ancient India, and you happen upon a, a T. Rex, weird, a weird bone, a weird huge freaking bone in a fossil bed. You. How are you going to explain that? Dragon. Dragon is the only answer. It's the only answer. Uh, but wherever they found their inspiration, um, they're everywhere. So there's uh, Apep in Egyptian mythology. There's Vertra, the great dragon of Rigveda, which is one of the oldest texts in the world, coming, in, coming at you from 1500 BCE India. There's the Leviathan in uh, the Book of Job in the Hebrew Bible. There's the Hydra in Greek mythology. There's the dragon from Beowulf. There's smog from Middle Earth. Uh, everywhere. Smog. There's Sorry, that's Cumberbatch. my favorite uh, line from any movie ever. Everywhere you look, there be dragons. Everywhere you look. <laughs> Sorry, you just keep setting me up. Please remix that song, but have it be like, there be dragons and oh, somebody okay. to love you. <laughs> Somebody to eat you. Yeah. So I know you don't watch Game of Thrones, correct? I don't. Okay. Well, uh, during high COVID, uh, Taylor made me watch all of it. I've at the time of recording, I've seen six episodes of Game of Thrones. Okay. Okay. Good for you. Um, I truly don't think it's a show that everyone has to watch. Everyone's like, "Oh, you haven't seen it. You're crazy." It's like, I I was forced by luck down yeah <laughs> we watched everything else on the internet that's all that was left we ran out of media to consume taylor insists on listening to the intro every time we can't hit skip intro and taylor and justin would get along but his is nothing to do with the song and everything to do with watching 
the it's intro graphics. The longest it's very long. intro. And right once you feel like it's wrapping up, Mm-mm. there's another. It goes into like the bridge. I'm like, my God. So I have created lyrics for it. Now, when I say I've created lyrics for it, I've created lyrics for half of the first verse. Okay. And I'm going to move my mic away from my mouth because it is loud. Okay. So, Natalie, if you'll just give me like a. Okay. Dragons all around, dragons. They are flying, they are flying, they are flying. People dying. I love you so much. Every time. I'll be like in the other room. Taylor will be doing something and we can like step away because it's the intro. And then in unison, dragons. And um, I've been wanting to finish it, but I just, how, how can you top that? What do you add to that? I, so that's where it lays. That's where it stands. I'm so glad that you've kind of, I was going to say that you've given me a way to get Justin to maybe agree to skipping the opening titles to things. <laughs> but I am realizing as I say this, that I do sing along to the intros a lot and it hasn't mm-hmm. pushed him yet. We were just, we were, we've been watching Raised by Wolves, which big recommend giant snake in it, giant sky snake in it. So, you know. You mean dragon? Sorry, giant sky dragon. Um, <laughs> but the intro, the intro song has, has lyrics and Justin and I will just like shout, sing what we think they are because we can't always <laughs> understand all of them. Oh, and the worst thing that ever happened to me was that fucking song from The Witcher. Oh, yeah. Toss a coin to your Witcher, a valley of plenty. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I did recently learn that I can watch House of Dragon without having um, watched Game of Thrones. So yes. maybe this topic will inspire me to watch House of Dragon. Yeah. But this isn't about Matt Smith. <laughs> Uh, no, but like, so, okay. So everywhere, everywhere you look, there'll be dragons. Um, and (laughs) over the centuries through all of these cultures, histories and mythologies and stories, dragon descriptions grew far beyond big snakes. They got mistranslated. They got exaggerated. They were a conflation of different animals. Mm, mm. There's an encyclopedia of natural history from 1580 from the 1580s. It's called uh, Schlangenbusch, which is what I've decided how it's being how it's pronounced, and it's probably not right, but it's just fun that to say correct. Schlangenbusch by uh, a Swiss physician and naturalist Conrad Gessner, and he has a whole section on dragons because he wanted to compile everything written about each animal species on Earth, and in eight in fifteen eighty, that included dragons. Now, if you go to today's, the modern encyclopedia of natural history and all things on Earth, Wikipedia, the creature is clearly listed as legendary and from folklore. But for Gessner, this was an animal species on Earth. Also, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, go check out the wiki page for dragons. It is very long, and it includes depictions and stories from almost every culture. It's a good scroll uh, and a good skim a key difference, if we're getting, if we're oversimplifying, a key difference between Western and Eastern depictions of mm. dragons being wings. 
because dragons in in Asia are more true to the root of the word. They're they're snakes. They're wingless. They don't usually have legs. Sorry, Mushu. Um, <laughs> they're also not seen as threats. Like uh, Eastern cultures use use dragons to celebrate. There's like the p- parade of Saint dragons. George. Yeah, that's yeah. oh sorry in that's in a, Western in I was England like, that's West. Saint George. Everyone, you know, loved him because he killed a dragon. Whereas in the oh, east, oh, oh, I'm gonna bring this to Saint George in a minute. Ooh. So, so yeah, so so in Asia, they're not necessarily threatening dragons. In Europe, they're menacing winged beasts. But for for much of history, no matter what side of the globe you're on, Cass, actually, dragons could be good or bad. They were either they were sometimes useful and protective. Mm. Um, and other times harmful and dangerous. Yeah. I'm watching Merlin right now. And in Merlin, there's a dragon voiced by John Hurt. And he's the last dragon. All the other dragons have been killed when they exile, like when they basically excised magic from the realm. And this dragon is helpful. I mean, he's a dragon, so he can't be directly helpful, but he kind of talks in riddles and shit, but he's like, <laughs> he's, he's useful. Uh, he's not an active threat. The Asia-Europe divide of good dragon versus evil dragon didn't really exist until the spread of Christianity. Oh. That is when dragons came to represent, like, evil and Satan. And like I had Shocker. mentioned, um, the Leviathan in the Book of Job, like, you read that and you're like, that's a dragon. You're describing a dragon, and it's a threat mm-hmm. in that text. Interestingly, bringing us to St. George, you can track the westernization of Russia because Russia, chilling in the middle of Asia and Europe, like literally chilling, liter- literally chilling. Um, you can track the westernization of Russia and them taking on Western influence by their depiction of dragons via Christianity. Oh wow. Because religious icons are standardized. It's there's very little room for artistic expression in icons. They are meant to stay uniform so that you can see one and know exactly which saint that is. Mm. So when something in a depiction of a saint changes, it's very noticeable historically. And in St. George's story, he is a soldier, like you, uh, like who, like you said, valiantly killed a dragon. He's often depicted uh, like sideways on a horse with like a spear stabbing a dragon. And it was a dragon who was demanding human sacrifice from an innocent town. And people love St. George. You can look at religious icons from Russia and you can see how Russia slowly accepted European influence by how that dragon is depicted in his, in his, in his icon. It starts more snake-like and then eventually has wings. Wow. So I'm glad that you brought up St. George because I was going to bring up St. George. George of the Dragon. By George. But in Schlangenbusch, <laughs> so not Okay, can I say, I took, you're saying it right. I took German in high school. And when we were learning like distance stuff, like long, short, uh, <laughs> we were also learning animals. And God bless him, Harold didn't realize how immature we were. And he'd be like, die Schlange ist lange, which means snake is long. And we just had a field day with that, of Aww. course. Also, I miss field days. Oh, I miss field days. 
<laughs> and field trips. Um, the first source that Gessner uses, though, to chat about dragons is Homer's Iliad, where the dracon, from context, is clearly a snake. No wings. Mm. It's a snake. So European dragons circa about the 9th century BCE, which is when the Iliad was, was probably first t- t- told slash written, um, mm-hmm. dragons and the, were still wingless. And then later in the 4th century BCE, when Aristotle noted that dragon, like wrote about dragons in their history of animals, still no wings. So how did the dragon get its wings? Do you have a guess? Oh, uh, you don't have to. It's not know. a. It's not an interesting story. <laughs> I, well, because we're afraid of birds too. Did they combine them? We actually kind of don't know. <laughs> you set me up for a yeah. loss there. <laughs> uh, the fir- the first of Gessner's sources to assert that, like, as a rule, dragons can fly, was Augustine of Hippo. Sorry, my dog just like snaked in here, snuck, and I didn't realize, and then she walked out, and I'm like, oh my god, dragon. <laughs> Dogs are dragons. Everything's Dogs are dragon. dragons. The first of Gessner's sources to assert that as a rule, dragons could fly was Augustine of Hippo in uh, like 350 to 430 common era. Um, they describe dragons as Earth's largest animals living in caves, Caves also, like, historically and also still today, like, we, dragons came from caves or from the depths of the ocean. You know what we th- perceive as inherently scary? Cave, dark, dank caves and the depths of the ocean. Depths. Snakes. Snakes come from, like, chill in those places. So, again, we're, a, we're all just a culture inherently afraid of snakes. Um, but they were the largest animals living in caves and emerging to spread their wings. Now... This depiction by Augustine of Hippo is in a psalm, um, not a historical document of any kind, but natural historians of the time were like, oh, okay, dragons can fly, got it. And they just like went with it. And from like that moment on, dragons could fly. It's like maybe he had a little bit more poetic view in mind. Yeah. Sometimes we spread our wings metaphorically. Sometimes you are metaphorically the wind beneath my wings. Thank you, Bette Midler. so I don't know I don't know when, but at some point European dragons also became more like lizard-like than snake-like, mm-hmm. commonly drawn with legs in the medieval period, much to the chagrin of natural historians who at this time still insisted that they existed, but that it was preposterous to draw them with legs. <laughs> I hope that the natural historians were taking issue with this and not the horrifying drawings of lions from medieval times. Like medieval lions... Oh my god! Or or uh, like cats, or with like, like weird much faces later than medieval times. Yeah, that never made sense to me because you knew that you know that they've seen a fucking cat before. Understandably, <laughs> they've never seen a lion. Somebody came they put, back. They put a human face on the cat though. Somebody explained, tried to explain a lion to them, and that was like the best drawing that they got. But the cats, like, just there's probably a cat in the corner murdering a rat. Look at the just look at it. <laughs> just do that and make it bigger. Yeah. Um. Well, it's was it's like. Oh, I just Googled medieval lion painting. <laughs> They're so horrifying. Bad. It's so bad. Well, and then it's like going all the way up to like Victorian times. It was um, somebody would come back from Africa and try to explain it of uh, an elephant <laughs> to like the English. And they'd be like, what? And then they try to draw it. And it's like, well, that is that can't possibly exist. That's so fake. It's not real. 
Um, but yeah, so so I just think it's funny that the medieval uh, natural historians were like, okay, guys, that's not what a dragon looks like. <laughs> well, so I just Googled Komodo dragons because I remember the History Channel when I was a kid. It was like, dragons are real. And then they just talked about like the Komodo dragons. It was like, well, that feels like a ripoff. Like, you tricked me. Um, so I was wondering if it said anything about that. And Komodo dragons are also called monitor or monitor lizards. Mm -hmm. And they're native to Africa. So Augustine of Hippo, like, saw dragons all the time. All the time. And all yet the he's the one who insisted they had wings. And it's like, I've never seen a flying Komodo dragon. <laughs> Though I would be more Could afraid you of a flying. The Komodo dragons are scary in general but if you oh make that God. it's like it's like a bug in the bathroom that you're like i want to kill that bug but i don't know if that bug can fly yet and the second <laughs> i discover that bug can fly way scarier way scarier. sell the house <laughs> well, i don't have a problem with spiders because i'm like that uh, my thing with spiders i'm like can that spider jump that's what i'm trying to discern i'm trying to discern the speed and velocity of of that spider <laughs> i'm never really concerned that that spider can maintain an airborne state <laughs> Anyway, this isn't about spiders. Cass, we have to take an ad break. Fair enough. But we're a history podcast, so we have to infuse this interlude with some tasty, tasty facts. Okay. Oh, tasty facts. Like brewing beer using hops became a standard practice as a result of early drug laws in Bohemia. Ah, yes. The Reinheitsgebot Law of 1560. I remember it well. Now that hops are no longer a legally required ingredient in beer, welcome to the future, our friends at Herbiary have taken it upon themselves to release your taste buds from the cages of convention. They've experimented with over 200 different herbs and botanicals, building on the rich tradition and fermented folklore of hop-free brewing. Learn more about their delicious section of brews and where to find them at herbiary.com. It wasn't until the 18th century uh, that natural historians determined that dragons didn't exist at all. So it... Took them until the 18th, 1700s that they were like, maybe. Yes. And it was around no this one, time. None of you guys have seen one, right? I haven't either. Maybe. Well, and you know, you know that from the medieval period on, like, there's so many taxidermy hoax, hoaxes where people oh, were just like yes. Frankensteining animals together and stuffing them, being like, I found this rare creature. It's a dragon. Um, but yes, natural historians decided in the 18th century that dragons didn't exist at all. But in their article, Snake to Monster, scholars Phil Center, Old, uh, Uta Maddox, and Eid E. Haddad point out that that is only because those 18th century natural historians were thinking of Gessner's European bipedal winged dragons, not Homer's python. Mm. Homer's Python. Homer's. <laughs> title, title of my sex tape. <laughs> so that is, I dragons are real. There be dragons. In dragons are real. There be dragons. There Did be dragons that? everywhere. I I still wish we had some flying dragons. I mean, like I do, but I also in every depiction of a flying dragon from especially like. I'm thinking specifically of an uh, an old icon of St. George. They're they're these huge creatures and their wings are not that big. And I'm like the, the those wings could not 
we carry. got a bumblebee conundrum here. But, yes. Yeah. Where it's like, there's no, it does not make sense that that could fly. Mm-mm. But I just, I just think that the whole idea of dragons is, uh, who doesn't want to believe in dragons? I feel like, it, I feel like I would prefer to believe in dragons than believe in ghosts. Oh, hell yeah. Um, my, my friend's mom, uh, like antiques, like hardcore, like she has a storage locker of antiques. Her house is filled with them and she like sells them online and stuff. Makes a shit ton of money. Um, and we invited her to something and she's like, yeah, I'll come. And then didn't end up coming. And she was like, yeah, my mom is like a dragon. All she wants to do is sit alone in her dark house and guard her treasures. <laughs> Cause she calls her antiques, her treasures. I and she never that, leaves the house. It's phenomenal. Guard your treasures, man. Mm-hmm. And watch Merlin. It is, it is so queer and so horny. Which Merlin? Because there was a Merlin with Joseph Fiennes. Is it that one? No, that no. was King Arthur. Yeah, this is Merlin. Arthur the show. It's all that's on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. It's about like young Merlin and young Arthur. Okay. Arthur ain't king. Um. Yeah. Also, big recommend. There's uh, Google Arts and Culture has like, oh, well, it'll be one of the links because it is like partially one of my sources, but I wasn't able to spend as much time with it as I wanted about the history of dragons. And it is just a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous scroll um, because it, there's just gorgeous, gorgeous pictures of dragon depictions and different art from different cultures. And then also little blurbs kind of tracing the history of dragons through those mm-hmm. and it's gorgeous and fascinating and i i love it i love it mm. but like not all dragons are bad and scary and hashtag not all dragons hashtag not all dragons uh christianity <laughs> ruined dragons and yeah that big shock there yeah <laughs> but the important um, takeaway is there be dragons yeah uh natalie just as uh christians did not discover dragons no they just with ruined wings them. yes or how um spain did not discover the philippines though they laid claim to them um is there anything you've discovered recently aside from the horny gay awesomeness of merlin which is fun <laughs> to watch because i think it's like not that old but the graphics in it are a big yike mm-hmm. there's a I can't believe I'm bringing a YouTuber again. There's a, a content creator on YouTube and uh, Instagram, but I found his YouTube first named Jack Edwards. I think it's, yeah, Jack Edwards. He calls himself YouTube's resident librarian. And he does, I found him because he does a lot of videos where he will find all of the books or a collection of books that a celebrity, he does like celebrity book club where Andrew Garfield talks about a lot of books. They just come up in interviews. He finds the books that he talks about in interviews. He reads them and then he'll like give you like a review of the, of Andrew Garfield's reading list or Kendall mm-hmm. Jenner's reading list or whoever. Oh. Um, and he is like, he, he's, a, he's a former, he's a former lit major. He has a degree in, in English literature and he just, the amount of reading that he must do but his videos are really interesting. He did one where he read all of the books that, if you've read 
normal people by Sally Rooney or watch the show. He reads all of the, those characters are in lit programs. And so he reads all of the books that they mention reading for mm -hmm. class or personally in the books and in the show and kind of, he reads them and also has, because he loves the book, normal people ties it into kind of what's going on with the characters and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so I recommend checking out Jack Edwards on the YouTubes. If see, I didn't recommend a book. I just recommended a book. Someone who recommends books. Uh, yes, that's uh, the gift that keeps on giving. It is devastating for your to read list. Just a, a word <laughs> of warning. Word of warning from Natalie. Yeah. What about you? Where are you planting your flag? Oh, I have a discover. I discovered this completely unknown author, speaking of books, no one's ever heard of him or read any of his stuff. His name is Chinua Echebe. He wrote this cute little book called Things Fall Apart. Ever heard no, of it? Uh, no, no one has because I just discovered it. Um, I'm teaching sophomores in high school and we're reading Things Fall Apart. And I never actually read the book before. Like we didn't, it wasn't assigned reading in high school for me. Um, and I've got four classes of this English two class. So I've read this book up to chapter 15, four times already, just chapter, 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 over, 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 over again. So I have a very in-depth knowledge of, of the book. So what and, you're saying you know, is, go check him out. You yeah. know, you might be give, able to find him, a, him somewhere. Give him a chance. <laughs> give a give a a new, a fresh, up and coming author a chance. <laughs> no, it is a beautiful book, and I'm bummed I've never read it before. That one, and the never kids don't like for it me either. Oh, you never love anything that you're forced to read. Well, yeah, especially I just said especially, especially because like. They have a lot of like converse they're like i don't i don't know what's going on it jumps timelines it's like uh, it's a guy telling a fable or telling a story we're not jumping timelines guys just pay attention but it's okay it's okay i'm making them fall in love with it i'm for i'm forcing them to fall in love my favorite thing that i'm learning from this cast is that it definitely means that you're very open to me recommending books to you because you definitely have plenty of time to read for yourself and not and not for your job. You have so no. much time to read for yourself. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to, you know what? I'm just going to start a, we have a very, very strict set curriculum. We like don't get to pick anything. They literally tell us exactly what to do each class. I'm like, that's kind of annoying. Um, but that being said, if you ever recommend any books I'm interested, I'll be like, hey class, we're going to read this today. <laughs> my, uh, my favorite, my, my um, AP Lit teacher in, in, in high school was I had him actually for for two I had him for a different class too and it was his last two years that he was teaching he was retiring and so he just like he went off script he was like I'm supposed to teach I'm supposed to we're supposed to do these books but he's like I understand the reason we're supposed to do these books based on like the writing style and the themes mm -hmm. and whatnot and he's like so I've chosen books that I like more uh for about half of them that still fit the lessons that you're yeah. supp I'm supposed to impart onto you and will still serve mm -hmm. you on the AP, uh, on the AP lit exam. Yeah. So I can do what I want. 
And some of my favorite reading that I ever did in, in high school was in his classes because he was like, look, I understand why we're doing this. So I'm just yeah. choosing something else that fits the curriculum. Yeah. But that's also why I haven't read most of the books people were forced to read <laughs> in yeah. high school, including hey, that book. So yeah. maybe I should read it with your class. Check it out. I'm so glad you discovered it. I, yeah, I know. I, I really think I'm bringing um, a boon to the world. Yeah. You're, and you're I welcome, can't believe world. I can't believe that in the short time since I discovered Jack Edwards, he's already amassed like a million plus YouTube subscribers. And we haven't even released the episode I know, it's yet. Wild. Can you imagine once we do? Mm-hmm. It's going to be insane. Double, double subscribers. If you want to look at a lot of pictures of dragons and tattoos... <laughs> This episode brought to you by the girl with the dragon tattoo. <laughs> Go read the. You know what? We're going to start reading that in class. I've never read it. I never read it. Maybe I'll read it after this. It's so good. It is. I'll read it. it sorry. She's writing it down. I'm sorry to add to your list. Also, like, let's be honest. That's probably the title of this episode that you're listening to right now. <laughs> Wang with the dragon tattoo. Mm -hmm. If you are... If you want to look at a lot of pictures of tattoos and dragons, you can do that in the link be links beneath the description of this episode on whatever you're listening to it on. We'll have a bunch of links in the doobly-doo to various visual aids. As always, we'll post a couple of them on our Instagram at sharedpod. But if you are looking for more, there's always more in the show notes than there than we post online. So definitely check that out. If you have any questions, corrections, suggestions, write in tattoo ideas for Cass and I. Full back pieces? We'll do it. Give me give me a Phoenix. I want a, I want a real Ben Affleck this situation. <laughs> you can send those to us. You can DM those to us or you can email us at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com or you can fill out the little form at sharedhistorypodcast.com. I'll read it. Maybe I'll even do a doodle of what that tattoo would look like. Or give us a doodle of what that tattoo would yeah. look like. Yeah. Give, give us some fan art. Give us tattoos. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's all she wrote. This is the penultimate episode of this season. So we will see you on the finale. Until next time. Share you later.